Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of the Private Equity Podcast, sponsored by the Spider Private Equity Program at the Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. I'm Chris McGowan, adjunct professor of entrepreneurship here at Chicago Booth. I teach the Private Equity and Venture Capital Lab, and I'm faculty advisor for the Sterling Partners Investment Thesis Challenge, as well as the Chicago Booth Private Equity Case Challenge. And I'm joined here in the studio by our executive producer, Megan Fox, as well as class of 2018 Booth grad, Maureen Wilkie, who goes by Mo. So welcome, Mo. Thanks, Chris. So, Mo, it's great to see you again. Um, we had you in the Private Equity Venture Capital Lab and so many other programs that we, we want to talk about here. Um, but just to let our listeners know, so you are a vice president in the private equity group at 50 South Capital, which is a division of Northern Trust. And we would love to hear all about that in a little bit. Uh, but first, it would be great to tell our listeners uh, a bit about your journey as a career switcher into private equity. Yep, happy to. Uh, so where do I begin? Uh, I basically had a atypical career, I would say, from um, graduating undergrad until now where I work in private equity. Yeah. Uh, I started in a more traditional round. I started in two years in investment banking. I mm -hmm. worked in the metals and mining group. I also worked in a generalist practice. Uh, but from then, uh, I got the opportunity to move more to the operation side where I worked for a bunch of consumer retail companies in various capacities uh, and of various sizes. So I worked for a large uh, publicly traded consumer company. I worked for a bunch of small startups. So I wore a, a lot of hats within different operating capacities. Uh, and then most recently before going to business school, I started a direct-to-consumer men's uh, e-commerce business selling uh, made-in-USA men's belts. So that was huh. obviously a very interesting journey, yeah. And then, uh, you know, a few years doing that as well as doing some consulting on the side because uh, obviously you need to make a little money as a bootstrapped entrepreneur. Yeah. I um, went, decided to go back to Booth uh, to pursue a career in private equity, and that's kind of what led me to be in private equity today. I actually met the... Uh, Chief Investment Officer of 50 South in Steve Kaplan's uh, Entrepreneurial and uh, Private Equity class, and yeah. that was kind of where my journey began. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Um, and uh, could you, maybe you tell us a little bit about when you were a bootstrapped entrepreneur. <laughs> um, how did that, how do you think that might have helped you prepare for, you know, business school and, and for private equity? Yeah. So... I think as a bootstrapped entrepreneur, there is no task too small and no task too big yeah. um, that you are responsible for undertaking. And so uh, it teaches you to think very strategically. It teaches you to be very scrappy. It teaches you to work with various uh, personality types, uh, all of which are super useful for being an MBA student. Mm -hmm. And then from a private equity perspective, um, you know, what I do is I invest in private equity firms uh, into their funds on a primary basis. But then I also do a lot of co-investing, which is investing directly in uh, portfolio companies. And so when it comes to underwriting those investments, I've actually run a business. I know, you know, key drivers of performance. I can understand strategy. I can even understand kind of mentality of entrepreneurs or business owners. And so 
you know, through the diligence process and through calls with management and through looking at the operating metrics and the financials, um, I just think I have a unique perspective and a unique eye uh, for, you know, various nuances or even, uh, you know, unique, I would say, kind of operating models because of my experience as an operator and an entrepreneur. Having having done it. Yeah, basically. Having pulled all those long nights and sleepless nights doing things that you, you know, didn't think you were going to be doing because there's no one else around to upload product at five in the morning. Oh, gosh, that's interesting. (laughs) Very interesting. And so what was, um, I mean, private equity can be notoriously hard, you know, to break into. And, um, you know, so many students would say, um, they, they have these dialogues with private equity firms that say, we would love to hire you if only you had some experience in private equity. So how did you actually break that cycle and get into private equity? Yeah. And so I did have those conversations or a lot of conversations where, uh, you know, the market's just very competitive and I didn't have direct buy side experience before getting into private equity. And so I heard no time and time again. And I think, you know, just being tenacious and sticking with it and and constantly not being afraid to cold email or use your network even more importantly to have a warm intro. Because I think, you know, when it boils boils down to it, um, while the technical skills are definitely critical and you should have those, even if you don't have a background in it, you should have those for interviews, Mm. um, there's a lot of cultural fit that plays into it. And so I kind of leveraged that along with, you know, my experience in investment banking. I sat and I trained myself to build LBOs in the Gleacher Center for an entire weekend um, before I had to interview. Um, And so I was prepared on a technical front, but I also, you know, culturally just used my network, I would say, to help break into it. And I didn't give up, right? Mm -hmm. I think people get discouraged after hearing, well, there's a lot more qualified candidates who would just have much more relevant experience. And they, uh, they might, you know, just pull back and decide to not pursue that. And I just, I didn't have that mentality. It was, it was kind of this industry or, or who knows? I didn't have a backup. I think if you have a backup, you're kind of setting yourself up to give up a little bit easier. So. No net. Yeah, yeah, no no net. <laughs> so so you mentioned networking a couple times, and, and I'm sure looking back on it, you had a bunch of different networks to draw from, you know, where you went to undergrad, jobs you had before. Like, what? How did you start to kind of... Um, amass your network and get it into shape to um, to do the type of networking you talked about? Yeah, I think Booth was actually the best platform for me to do it, and there's a few reasons. Um, first, people are open to talking to you when you're a student, so okay. definitely leverage the, uh, you know, I'm a student card when you're cold emailing or getting warm intros to people. Uh, in terms of building my network, I got very, very heavily involved in Booth. Mm. Um, I planned conferences. I worked with the Polsky Center nonstop just to basically make myself um, out there and make people aware that I was looking for this type of career. And then third is, uh, to your point, I you know, emailed, I would look up a firm or research a, you know, a sector or a type of um, firm strategy, and then I would find people at that firm, and I yeah. would use my network through LinkedIn or, um, you know, however else I could find some sort of warm connection, uh, yeah. and I would use that person and be really not shy at all about reaching out to have them introduce me to, you know, said individual at private equity firm X, and oh, so okay. that's how I would, it, it's the scrappy entrepreneur in me and uh, asking for a favor, which can, you know, feel a little bit awkward sometimes, but it definitely led to a lot of good leads. Yeah. Is there any anecdote about um, a connection that you had that that was unexpected that led to um, some of these good dialogues? So I... 
I guess one example that comes to mind is I was constantly on the phone with friends from undergrad who are still in the finance industry. Okay. Um, And now we're at very reputable private equity firms. Mm. And while my path took me in a little bit of a different direction, we kind of all started in investment banking together. And so I just made sure to reconnect with all of those people because I felt like they had grown up in the PE industry and therefore they had an even wider network of individuals at the associate and VP level who had, you know, ears to the ground at their individual respective firms. And therefore, you know, that that took my network of maybe three people and brought it to, you know, 20. Mm. Um, So just kind of thinking beyond, you know, one step beyond your network and strategically reaching out to people who you think maybe are the most connected uh, or at least the most strategically connected in the industry. Yeah, even though some of these uh, contacts in your network may have been from uh, you may have been with them three, four, five years ago professionally. Is that is that right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I um, reached out to people, you know, even that I did my first year of investment banking with okay. that I hadn't talked to in a while. So yeah. it's a little awkward, I'm not going to lie, but I yeah. think it's, you know, at the end of the day, people want to help out, um, you know, if you've worked with them or you went to their, their same school. And sure. so, you know, you might not get some responses, but, you know, that, that I think that the positive responses are people who genuinely want to help, and they're usually uh, super uh, useful for for progressing, you know, conversations. Yeah, and again, it's the scrappy entrepreneurial <laughs> experience that probably helps you with that. Very so. true. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So, so, um, uh, so I, I will I will attest that Mo was very involved at Booth, and um, so you are co-chair for the Booth uh, Private Equity Conference. Um, I'm just curious, how, how did that kind of further um, your your learning curve into private equity or further the context you were trying to develop? Yeah, I think the first thing it did is it gave me this in, like inherently tight network of mm. um, private equity classmates, people who had been in the industry. And so when I okay. when you think about like when I was going to interview for PE jobs, they were giving me their models that they used, uh, Excel models that they used to um, you know, train for their private equity interviews before business school. And so they were, you know, the resources that those individuals and a lot of my classmates gave me was was one thing. I think um, another kind of advantage of being involved in the, the PE group was just exposure, yeah. um, not only to Polsky and all the individuals there who know all the private equity firms. I mean, you know, a lot of the firms in Chicago, Chris, and so just having that kind of one level further of connectivity with, you know, key stakeholders at Booth was yeah. was super helpful. Um, cool. And then exposure to um, some of the big PE uh, players, I would say. I, yeah. um, in planning the conference, we had uh, three keynote speakers, who, or three speakers who um, were some top, you know, founders of very, very large private equity firms. And I was having conversations with them about potential opportunities uh, throughout the time of, of planning the conference. And I think mm. that was exposure that I got that other individuals uh, who maybe were not involved in, as a co-chair um, got while they're, they were at Booth. Yeah, and and it, it sounded like you actually you know got some good one-on-one time to understand certain people's strategy or what a life in the day was for a fairly senior person. Yeah, and understanding. So, I think you know I just remember talking to one um, private equity founder uh, and just understand they were working currently as the interim CEO at one of their portfolio companies in Arizona, but the firm was based in New York. Mm. And so um, really understanding kind of the life of 
you know, what it takes to develop a firm and yeah. what it takes to come up within the firm. What they are looking for as the head of the firm and individuals um, when they, you know, because they are involved still in some facets in the uh, hiring process. And yeah. so it was really insight uh, into true strategy of uh, both hiring as well as kind of investing from some of these most seasoned people in the industry. Yeah. And it sounded like this person who got involved in their portfolio company, I mean, you know, taking a very personal interest in the success of, you know, their portfolio, which I'm sure is a, a lesson in itself. Yeah, and just understanding at the end of the day that these founders and senior private equity people are human and they are motivated by the same things that all of us are motivated by and yeah. they're willing to roll up their sleeves even as they are the founding partner of the firm and, and work uh, directly at a portfolio company. It just was an interesting kind of insight uh, into the industry that I didn't have before. Yeah, oh, that's great. All right, well, it's a great experience. Um, so uh, I should also just re-congratulate you because you were the recipient of the <laughs> Madison Dearborn Private Equity Award in 2018, which is, which is found fantastic. Um, so all in all, um, you had a great career at Booth, and now you're on to a great career at 50 South. So um, can you tell us, you, you told us a little bit about, about the platform, but could you tell us maybe a little bit more about the, the scope of 50 South and, and, and then what you do there? Yeah, so 50 South uh, is a... We're a private equity fund of funds, and we also manage a bunch of kind of custom accounts for various uh, state programs, for various foundations, endowments, uh, as well as large educational institutions. And so, we're deploying capital into private equity firms, not in sometimes, and in some instances, directly into their portfolio companies through co-invest. And so, what I'm responsible for on the team is I uh, kind of source and underwrite all of our private equity managers um, from a in, from a stage of investing, I look at uh, managers that invest from a buyout capacity rather than a venture capital capacity. Okay. Uh, and so I focus on the U.S., and I actually do a lot of work in Europe as well, meaning so when you think of my day-to-day, -day, no day is the same. I might be in Amsterdam one day and London <laughs> the next, uh, which I can't complain about. Wondering but, what time zone you're in. Yeah, yeah. sometimes not even getting on that time zone because uh, it's a quick trip. But um, So I meet with managers. I'm, there's a lot of interpersonal skills that go into, I would say, my role, as well as analytical and quantitative. But it's really, you know, you're trying to read not only the strategy of the manager and the performance of the manager, um, but also kind of what their value add is, what their skills are at winning over management teams, because obviously the private equity industry is very competitive. So do, you know, does this managing partner resonate with the own, um, founder and owner of a manufacturing firm in South Carolina and yeah. why? Uh, yeah. So what is kind of really truly digging out what the competitive advantage of these firms are? Uh, and so that's a lot of interpersonal skills and then on the technical side we're running models as to what the performance is we're doing and looking at kind of uh, portfolio company level analysis to see how they're performing okay. um, as well and so what I like about the job is that it's a hybrid and it tests uh, a lot of your skill set it doesn't just focus on one you're, you're constantly kind of switching uh, to different gears in terms of you know what task is at hand um, whether it be a more qualitative uh, part of the brain or quantitative yeah I, I think I read somewhere that um, at any given point there might be between like one and two thousand funds in market at I mean do you do you find that level of of, of volume coming across your, your desk oh yeah and we actually have as many in-person meetings with these funds as we can and it might wow. so 
there are thousands of funds in the market. We're a relatively small team, so I am constantly on the road if these funds aren't necessarily coming to market. So if I have okay. a trip to do diligence on a manager in Texas, yeah. I'm going to try to meet with all of the mid-market and lower mid-market funds um, that are in that area to you know make it a more efficient trip. Mm. Um, so in terms of volumes, there's an increasing number of firms coming out, and they're raising larger funds and then yeah. the firms that already exist in the marketplace today are coming back faster than we anticipated yeah. and they're coming back for much larger fund sizes which okay. makes deploying capital uh very difficult because you want to back managers that you've historically backed you want to re-up with them right. uh, but you also want to uncover and discover and you know back some of those fun ones or fun twos of this new emerging manager or maybe this spin-up firm that has a lot of promise so yeah. Um, while we're constantly raising capital to invest in these managers, the market is just, it's hot right now. And there's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, funds out there in, in various structures with very different strategies. And yeah. so it's, it's really sifting through all of those that I think presents a challenge, at least right now. Yeah. And I guess if someone comes back sooner than you expect, um, you know, maybe they have created enough of a track record in that last fund, or maybe the cake is still kind of unbaked. Is that fair? Yeah. So with like a fund two, for example, there's a lot of times that fund one maybe has one realization in it uh, okay. or a couple. You're seeing some traction and you're seeing some EBITDA growth and revenue growth amongst the portfolio, but you're not seeing actual true exits. Uh, so you're underwriting that fund two without a realized track record. And yeah. so um, it becomes a discussion amongst our team. Uh, and we have Monday morning meetings similar to most uh, private equity firms. And it really is, you know, do you believe in their strategy? Have you seen some true real growth within their portfolio mm. uh, assets today? And uh, do you think they still have the competitive advantage that they had when you underwrote Fund One, or has something changed in the market? Has something changed in their partnership or in their strategy that might have you change uh, your view on them? But it, it can be a difficult discussion because there's not really a track record still in Fund Two to underwrite to. It sounds like a real challenge, um, uh, job-wise, to if if you've got a hundred emerging managers competing for your time and attention, and you've got to get it down to one. I mean, that's that's harder than like working in an admissions office at a, at a, at a uh, really good uh, university. Like, how, how do you even, like, approach, I mean, that's, that's such a tight funnel compared yeah. to uh, other things. I mean, how do you begin to weed out the 99? Yeah, so I would say um, there are a lot in there that, aren't necessarily worth a look um, yeah, okay. because their strategy doesn't make sense. Maybe they don't even have a history of investing or operating, but okay. because this market is so flush with capital, it is attracting people who don't necessarily have the requisite experience to be raising private equity funds. So there okay. are a handful that I would say are just not relevant. No. Um, and then next to that, it's, you know, do do does this team of partners that are starting this new firm, do they have a track record? Yeah. Do they have they invested together, whether it's in a fundless sponsor model mm. or, you know, in some sort of deal by deal capacity? And yeah. have they invested together and have they exited together? Have they actually deployed the strategy that they're going to deploy in this new fund structure uh, in the past? And so that's something that, you know, is kind of a way to build a track record without necessarily having a dedicated um, track record. Got it. And then, so, so demonstrated work as a team kind of cradle the end of the rainbow is, is a really important part, I guess, of your screening criteria. Yeah. it help, yeah. I mean, it helps us, right? It yeah. helps us uh, underwrite, let's say, uh, a 
some version of investing experience. Yeah, uh, okay, interesting. And then on top of that, it's really having a clear, well-defined strategy mm. in a market where there's a competitive advantage, whether it's a geography, it's a sector, it's a yeah. sourcing competitive advantages. It's not necessarily that people have to think too far outside of the box, but um, it when it's articulate and when it's clearly well thought out and yeah. it seems actionable yeah. because maybe they haven't necessarily and it's followed it. yeah and it's followed <laughs> that's a fun too question yeah yeah um that's something that we'll look for as well and then yeah, interesting huh? i wouldn't just discredit uh you know do we like the people right yeah like at the end of the day they're starting a brand new fund maybe they haven't started a fund to you know do we trust them with our money yeah um yeah. do we think that they're going to win over management or do they do these people seem like jerks honestly yeah. and uh i you know so they can't win you over they, they won't have as good of a chance of winning over that management team that needs to choose them to be you know five to ten year partners with yeah exactly and yeah. for us we're looking to partner with these firms right for 10 plus years and do we think they're going to be a good partner to us as well yeah. and um you know that doesn't just mean like show us co-invest but it just means are they going to be easy to work with and uh you know do we think they'll deliver on performance and mm. you know so there's a lot of qualitative assessment i would say that goes in especially at the earlier stage uh when it's like a fun one because there's not as much tangible uh you know, quantitative, you know, items or numbers to, to really hang your hat on. Right. So your job takes you to at least two continents. So, <laughs> so it, how different or similar is it um, doing your job in Europe versus uh, in the U.S.? So there's a, it's, it's different. I would say it's both. I would say Europe um, lags a little bit behind the U.S. in terms of we're seeing now U.S. strategies peripheral proliferate in Europe okay, because yeah. there's more acceptance of private equity as an asset class mm. and private equity as an exit strategy or a capital strategy to founders and families. Okay. So I take the DOC region, which is the German speaking region over in Europe. Yeah. And there was a, there has been a very long time where they've been resistant to private equity. And there are a lot of mid market and lower mid market businesses there, but yeah. private equity had a very negative connotation. And yeah. now the acceptance is happening. So you're seeing similar lower mid-market and mid-market strategies that you see in the U.S. being employed in Europe, and you're seeing them actually be very successful for similar reasons to, that they were successful in the U.S. Interesting. So, yeah, I remember I, about 15 years ago, there was um, talk of private equity being uh, like a swarm of locusts. <laughs> uh, at least that's what the German media yeah. was was quoting some some prominent people. So that so that 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 part is that the fever has broken at least. Yeah, with, on, it's on that. starting to break at least, and more so in some regions, and then. Just from a perspective of doing my job, um, there's a language barrier, right? So for me oh, as an yeah, investor, okay. yeah. meeting with a French firm, it can be very difficult to understand uh, when they're you know, telling me their story. And right. so uh, you don't want to have an inherent bias that you just, you know, because you don't understand someone, right. uh, they're not necessarily intelligent, right? So it's, it's really digging through and assessing the qualitative part of someone when there's such a language and cultural barrier that yeah. can be present in the room. So how many different countries are you um, uh, meeting with funds within? Oh my God. Uh, within Europe, at least. Is yeah. it, it's, it's not just, you said, you mentioned DACA, so it's not just, it's not just Germany, for example. You mentioned France. Yeah, so I'd say we've looked at funds in, uh, or that are based in France, Italy, uh, Germany, uh, Switzerland, Amsterdam, wow. United Kingdom. Uh, I've met a Scottish firm. Yeah. I, I mean, you name it, anywhere 
kind of within the broader Europe region. Um, we have some European investors, if you want to go one level further, that invest in Poland, for example. So okay. when All you right. think about like our exposure uh, to kind of the broader market, we really have cast a pretty wide net, especially with our pan-European funds that are investing across um, the continent. So, wow. um, yeah, it, it makes for fun travel. But yeah, and it, you're it, right. I mean, like, just the, the economies of each of those countries that you mentioned um, are vastly different, right? Some are in the EU, some are trying to break out of the EU, yep. some are not in the EU, some have their own currencies, some have got the euro. Yeah, that's, that's um, I'm sure that no, no day is... Uh, is the same when when you're uh, when you're when you're when you're doing that. So uh, okay, that's that's super interesting. Um, so so that is um, that's what life is like for you on the primary fund investment side, right? But you have a, you have a second hat, maybe even a third. But your second hat is uh, doing co-investing with some of these funds. So so t tell us what what that's like. Yeah. So it's interesting because they overlap. I wouldn't use them as two kind of separate functions because for us to get in uh, flow or deal flow from from a co-investment perspective we have to have that prime usually or we do for our fund want to have that primary relationship with the GP I see okay and it's a it's actually about building the relationship so that they see you as a good partner for co-invest okay. and so that's part of it I, you know that's kind of the initial part of it but then once a co-invest deal comes through uh, you are leveraging what's I guess nice about being at this uh, part of the business is that you're leveraging some of the work that's been done by the GP already, yeah. uh, but also layering on your own additional work on top of it. So we'll take their models, their financial models, and then we will build our own base case, mm -hmm. uh, and we will manipulate that case based on our calls with uh, both the the um, acquiring GP as well as the management team, and okay. we'll get uh, industry research reports um, that are you know hundreds of pages of long that that we will sift through. And so we really are doing kind of an additional layer of diligence because we need to get comfortable as our own firm uh, with that investment versus just relying on, you know, if we took every investment that every GP showed us, yeah. um, you know, not every investment would, would turn out well. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so we certainly got the sense that, that um, no day is typical you know, you might be on a different continent in a, or a different time zone within within the U.S. Um, but is it is part of the reason you're really enjoying what you're doing? Is just is just you know the intellectual challenge and variety of what you're doing, or I would say definitely. Um, I just knowing myself, I'm someone who you know wants a constantly changing atmosphere, and so I think with you know learning the. U.S. market, now learning all the markets in Europe and learning more about Co-Invest, and I might, you know, go work on another one of our strategies. There's mm -hmm. a lot, because we have so many pockets of capital and strategies, there's a lot um, for me to get involved with if, right. you know, if I have the desire to do so. And, and I think that there's just a constant challenge that's presented from the variety of responsibilities. Now, I think it, it can be difficult, right, because I feel like I have... Uh, a lot of knowledge or a little knowledge about a lot of things yeah. and I'm just, yeah. I'm just starting to you know deepen that but um, but it can feel like you're casting a wide net in my role uh, and so I'm just constantly trying to get more educated in all these um, different little uh, sector and or strategies that we're focused on so that you know I, I don't quite feel like I, I'm cast very wide but not deep right so so over time there will be a move towards specializing in certain 
areas, geographies, industries for, for you? Is that Yeah, fair? I don't know about geographies, but I think there'll be a, a move towards specializing in strategy. So I think there'll be a focus for me on targeting a specific strategy. It might just be in the lower mid market mm. uh, and looking at buyout firms, or it might be focusing more on co-invest. Um, and at some point it'll it'll go more towards that direction but right now because we're such a small team it's yeah. kind of a all hands on deck mentality and and to be honest i i just like learning about new things so i'm i'm constantly raising my hand uh to learn and cover new opportunities which is basically why i'm now the the unofficial person who covers our european uh primary commitments so that's great yeah that's fantastic so you mentioned you're a small team um although i'm, I'm curious like when you have a project to do maybe it's looking at a co-investment opportunity or maybe it's evaluating you know a fund um uh do, do you operate as a big team around that or how do, how do you staff your projects themselves yeah so we're definitely siloed by expertise i would say a little okay. bit yeah. um where uh, we have various strategies, and you know there are a few people who tend to work on one strategy versus another. Yeah. Um, and so, from that aspect, you know you are staffed in much more smaller teams. Yeah. Um, but because the industry is so interconnected, and whether it's there's a credit deal or there's a co-investment or primary or secondary, yeah. they're all kind of interwoven in some facet. So you're always okay. pulling in team members who might have more of a you know uh, functional expertise in secondaries to look at oh, okay. you know something more technical um so there's a there's a lot of collaboration i would say but yeah. but all of us do not necessarily uh dig in on everything yeah. we have smaller teams that will do the digging and then we'll present to the broader team on our, and during our monday meetings and that will be when there's a group discussion uh and kind of outside questions from from the broader group will come in and and you'll have to you know uh, research and, and answer those. Yeah. And then ultimately, are you or is your team making a recommendation to like an investment committee? And, and there's that classic, you know, defending of your recommendation. Yeah. And I would say the defending comes even before I see. Um, we, the real defense needs to come when we're presenting the opportunity for a final vote to our team. And that's our entire okay. private equity team. I um, see. And obviously, you'll have uh, kind of shopped the idea around multiple weeks before, gathered people's you know initial questions or hesitations, and tried to answer those in the interim. Mm -hmm. But the time the final vote comes, um, that's when you're really, you know, have you have full conviction if you're bringing it to to a vote uh, to the team, and and you. Are, are really in a position of just defending it and, and hopefully answering people's questions to get them comfortable uh, with your investment recommendation. And then it does go to a formal IC where there, there are a few more uh, committee members that might ask additional questions. But yeah. I would say the most of the uh, debate and dialogue happens uh, in our, our Monday meetings during the time when we're kind of doing that final pass and that final vote on an oh, investment. I see. Okay, yeah. yeah. And maybe one last question. So you mentioned you're, you're 18 months in. It's hard to believe time has flown so <laughs> yeah. much. Um, is there anything in particular that you wish you had known, um, you know, 18 months ago when you started that that uh, that you know now? I mean, is there any any wisdom that you would pass along to someone else who who may be you know starting you know their uh, their their new career in private equity very soon? Yeah, I think that uh, just don't underestimate how much your network and how mm. you know the culture and all the interpersonal skills actually matter um and you know you're in most private equity firms you're working in small teams so really building 
camaraderie, not just amongst your your bosses, but amongst your peers. Yeah. Um, and not just camaraderie, but also, you know, build your work ethic yeah. and your reputation early and know that it's going to happen in the first few months. And once you can get that set, um, you know, you can maybe take the... Uh, the foot off the gas a little bit, but uh, really just don't underestimate how important people are, I think, because you can leverage them if you have questions, you can leverage them for support, you can leverage them to help you push ideas, you know, through IC or to help, uh, you know, just even brainstorm. So I think that's that's kind of what I've taken away as, as one of the most important things that you know any job uh but definitely within my job that's great it's 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 wisdom not only from a private equity professional but also from a um bootstrapped entrepreneur <laughs> yeah. who who uh who obviously gained a lot of great skills from that so um mo this has been great it's it's uh, it's awesome to see you so glad that you were doing well 50 south is doing well and uh really appreciate you joining me and megan in the studio today yeah. so please come back and see us again soon <laughs> i will thanks guys for having me thank you